0: We'll take the Bible, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, six chapters, starting the first verse. The title of the message is, Sue or Not to Sue, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, starting at the first verse. Dare any of you, after having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life set them to judge who are least esteemed in your in the church i speak to your shame is it so that there is not, not a wise man among you no not one that shall Be able to judge between his brethren, but brethren goes to law with brethren and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Let's pray together, please. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before Thy throne of grace. We thank Thee for Thy blessings you give us in Christ Jesus and how You watch over us, protect us, and guide us, and lead us, and direct us in all things, and that we should be those that are wise and have the wisdom on high, and that they should make us wiser than those upon the earth. And the Lord, that we might walk in wisdom, understanding, and that You'd open up our understanding. This morning that we might take what your word says, not add to it nor take away from it. We ask your mercies upon those without Christ that you would be pleased to save and the saints would you strengthen and edify us and uh, that we might do the work that you've given us to do. We just praise thee and thank thee in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. In verse 8 it says, Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brother." We uh, look at this, and I titled Suit Not to Sue. we talk about uh, not criminal minors. It's not talking about murderers or somebody that's a kidnapper or those type of things. It's talking about settling disputes. And <clears throat> what uh, the Lord is saying here through Paul, his servant, that the church should be able to settle the suits, and we have examples in the scripture that this is exactly what Jesus taught, like in Matthew 18 and other places, that he uh, would that it, take it to the church. And then if the church doesn't uh, hear, I mean, if the person doesn't hear then, then, and they defy the church, then they'd be counted as a publican and a sinner. And so we'll look at that a little bit later. So they, the question is, in any endeavor... Uh, do we promote or <clears throat> the cause of Christ, or do we take away from the cause of Christ? Do we? Uh, one of the worst things I can ha- think it can ever happen to a church, and I've seen it all my life, even from a kid on up. Uh, churches to get disputes in the church itself, and they're like pariah. They eat up one another almost. I mean, they just destroy. Uh, the fellowship and the congregation and some will leave the church is split and all these things happen and that just dishonors and disgraces the Lord Jesus Christ because we're supposed to be a different people. We're supposed to be a changed people. We're supposed to be a loving people and especially those that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In our passage, we have an injunction for not going to court against the brother in Christ And one should suffer loss rather than take them to court. And we think about this could be boundary lines. It could be where somebody's borrowed money from you and didn't pay it back. And we just go on and on and on with all kinds of civil matters that we hear people going to court, you know, small claims court or to regular court to get it settled. And and so uh, in these things, we're supposed to take care of it in the church. I don't know of many, and I may be wrong, of churches that practice that. Usually, if somebody gets disgruntled, they just stay disgruntled and nothing's ever done about it, and if they think somebody's wronged them, they don't go to them and make it right. Well, i just just them for it. Well, the Scriptures don't even teach that. Scriptures be reconciled, get straightened out, and that takes the... Uh, the stress out of a church <clears throat> and when these things are taken care of. And we find many have grossed, have erred in their interpretation of this passage, they usually add things to it. And one of the things they usually add to it is not sue nobody. It didn't say that. Now, we have to use wisdom where we sue somebody or not. But I'm saying this, the scriptures don't say that. It says if you have a brother... And that means a brother in Christ, and and usually we usually draw that to the church, like it's a. This letter is to the Corinthian church, that this is a matter dealt with that, and and uh, there's very little said about any of church to church disputes, and and so we're not looking at that today. But mixed application of this passage, often causes reproach against the Lord Jesus Christ and teaching the wicked. Uh, <coughs> Uh, if you will, of the wicked, every person has some good in them, but God says, "Man his natural fallen state is evil," and uh, <clears throat> God set up governments for our protection. And verse uh, six one, our passage does not say that we should never look to government for relief. We have Book of Romans real quick. Romans thirteen. <clears throat> and we just read a few verses here let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of god the powers be are ordained of god whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of god and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation for rulers are not to a terror to good works but to the evil wilt thou then not be afraid of the power so that which is good is good do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God, that deeds for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And... We think that at this time, when this was written, the man was in control was Nero. Mm -hmm. And we have this uh, written, not somebody would say, well, you know, if it's a good government, we'd follow it, but if it's not, we don't. That's not what it says. And if we take into account that Paul's probably not too far from being moderate at this time, and as he writes this letter to Rome, and... And what the time period between this and he, and he goes to, to Jerusalem and then to Rome. Whether he goes from there to Spain and back to Rome again, uh, we could argue about that for some other time. But nonetheless, Nero's in control and it says, calls him a minister of God. He's to protect us and, and punish, punish the thieves, the murderers, kidnappers, and criminals of all kinds. That's what he's there for. That's uh, if without a government, there's anarchy. If everybody just does what's right in their own eyes and they dole out punishment according to their own ideals of what uh, the punishment should be, then what you have is just anarchy. And those that's got the, the strongest or the biggest army is the one that will prevail for a time or in their area. And so a government that's set up is for this purpose <clears throat> to keep some kind of civilization and, uh, if you will, that there be some kind of peace in that country. And so God set up governments to protect the inhabitants thereon. The government is uh, to, uh, protect us from enemies within and without. The government is set up to hear disputes in Exodus 18.26, and they judge the people at all season, the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And we see this pattern throughout almost all civilization and governments. You got lower courts, And then you got some a little higher courts, and then you got the high court. And we see this is in the Scripture. This is the way it's laid out for uh, Israel that they would have these different levels, if you will, of judgment. Government exists by the authority of God Almighty, and it, should be, uh, it shouldn't be discriminatory, but we know for a human being that's almost impossible. But it is there for our protection. <clears throat> Vengeance belongs to the Lord. There in Romans 12, 19, if you're still there. And it says, <clears throat> Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," saith the Lord. Now we have a standard in the Old Testament, and the standard in the Old Testament in the early days was the it was the kin folks that if somebody killed one of your brothers or some of your kin folks, then the avenger of blood he would go and try to find the person that did the murder and kill them. And, uh, and and we think before the law was given, that it was for any cause. In other words, the axe handle, axe head comes off the handle, and you hit somewhere, and the avenger of blood would go uh, settle that score. And so they set up the city as a refuge. And if you get to the city of refuge before the avenger of blood got to you, then you're safe. And uh, but we see that it it continues to expand where. It takes it out of the uh, avenger's blood, if you will, the blood avenger, and gives it, if you will, totally to the government. God, uh, in the civil matters, though, and this concerns saint against saints, we are not to seek the government's relief or help, but they they go through the church for relief that it be settled. God commands us to love our neighbors, ourselves, but. We see in uh, Matthew 18, we'll be reading a few verses out there, 21, <clears throat> we have a question by Simon, then we have an answer by Jesus, and then Jesus illustrates the answer, so that at the end, there's no question of what uh, what Christ meant. Then came Peter unto him, and said, Lord, how shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, we would think, well, that's 490, and so uh, would we keep a little notebook, you know, and and, someone has offended me, he's up to 300. You know, he's sinned against me 300 times, and I just got 190 to go, you know, and, That's not what Christ meant at all. But that's the way some take it. When it says that they ask you to forgive them seven times in a day, if they offend you eight times, then you nail them on the eighth time. But that's not what that means either. And and so we have a parable that follows this. And Jesus illustrates it with a parable there in 1823. We read a few verses. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents for, but for as, as much as he had not to pay the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. So here is this man that he owes this enormous amount to the king. He's one of the king's servants and he couldn't, he, he couldn't pay it back and a uh, uh, talent was about 16 uh, years of a uh, wage and for a talent and here we find that uh, he owed 10,000 so that's 160,000 years of wa- wages that he owed the king and a penny or a pence is usually considered a one day's wage and that's what's based upon and so uh so then we uh, the, the servant asked for forgiveness. The king forgives him his debt. And, and, uh, and so that everything looks well until we get to 28. And 28 it says, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me and that thou owest. And this, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, "Have patience with me, and I will I will pay thee all." And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they was very sorry, and came and told it unto the Lord all that was done. So now we see this servant. Now he goes out, and, and there's one that owes him, a fellow servant, owes him 100 pence. So the saint owes him about a third of a year's wage is what he actually owes the, the servant. And here this guy had been forgiven 160,000 years of labor, and, and here this man owes him one third of the year's labor, but he wants every penny. He wants every bit of it back. This is about 5 million and, and 56,000 times what he owed the king. And this is uh, close as we can get to comparing the sin debt of Christ's payment, but Christ's sin debt payment, if it was infinite. And we couldn't put a price tag on it. You couldn't say, well, it's 10 million and 10 billion and. And the uh, reason I used a uh, uh, yearly wage is if you, you go in there and see how much it's worth, it depends on what year it's written. It could be it could be worth a dollar, it could be worth uh, uh, two dollars, or five dollars, or ten dollars. But a pence was just today's wage, and it wasn't very much. And so now they gone to the king. And they've told him what this servant had done, that he had completely forgot, uh, forgiven uh, this large debt. <clears throat> Verse 32. Then this Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Should not thou have also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? and his Lord was wrought and delivered him to the tormentors all that, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So we know this guy couldn't pay it. No way he can work out 160,000 years of debt by being in the poorhouse. There's no way. So it meant he was in torment all of his life. He was cast away, if you will, from uh, from the king. So that there be no doubt of what Jesus meant, we have verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from the hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. He says likewise. So we have a parable here. We have the question before it when Simon says seven times, Jesus says seven times 70. And then we have to a parable that explains exactly what Jesus meant. And then we end it by, without any question, that this is exactly what would happen to us if we follow this first servant's uh, 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 plan, if you will, or the way he went in, in forgiveness. So he'd been forgiven all this big debt. Now, how much has God forgiven you for Christ's sake? How much of Jesus' suffering on the cross at Calvary was due to you? How much, if you will, was the payment made? He settled our debt. He was the Redeemer. It means He redeemed us. He paid what was owed, if you will, and set us free because we was indebted unto God by sin. We owed God a debt we could not pay. There's no way we could work it off. Even if we had an eternity to work it off, we still couldn't work it off because we just keep on sinning. And so as we paying off this debt where it's like a, uh, paying off somebody and you say, well, i got to put it on my credit card. Uh, in order to pay them off, I'm going to put them in a credit card. Uh, I, I, uh, I'll, uh, I'll take out a loan. I'll take out a title loan on my car. or We just go on and on and on. But all the time you're paying off the debt, you're just deeper in debt. And that's the way our sin is. That's the way we have offended God. Even now, as righteous people, those that have been, <clears throat> if you will, transported from death unto life, Taken from darkness to light. And we still are churning up pain. I mean sin, that that debt. And yet, God forgives it all. Our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins, Jesus took care of. And so He says, here you are, you've been forgiven all these things. And we should do likewise with our brothers in Christ. In Colossians 3.13 it says, Forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so, do, so also do ye in similar Ephesians 4.32. So we are to forgive others just like Christ forgave us. Does Jesus hold a grudge? He said, Well, I've forgiven you already a thousand times on this one sin. I, I just had enough. I'm I, I'm not gonna forgive that anymore. Now, we wouldn't like that. And he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John one nine. And so, when we go to Christ, He forgives it. And when Christ forgives, it is as You didn't do it. He doesn't say, George, I remember just a year ago I forgave the same thing, and I'm getting tired of it. Well, he'd have a right to. Here he's caused me to be born again. Taken me into the family of God. Put me in the kingdom of God in the church of Jesus Christ. He's, he's done all this. <clears throat> and then, to show my gratitude, I sin. We say, well, preacher, it's all covered. I know it is. I, I i think the lord every day is covered but what about us and our brothers and sisters in Christ do we forgive but hold a grudge forgive but keep it in memory <clears throat> say well i don't think i i don't i don't think i was in the wrong or <clears throat> i i just can't forgive them for that just outrageous So the question is, would Christ forgive you for the same offense against him? What sin can a Christian commit? You know, so I said Christian, can commit that's not taken under the blood of Jesus Christ. Some might say, well, the unforgivable sin, but you're not. If you can commit the unforgivable sin, then you're not in Christ Jesus to begin with. So which one? Absolute none remembers them no more. Now, some sins have a consequence to it. That's absolutely right. Some sins has a consequence to it. And what I mean by consequence, we take David. We could take different ones that have committed presumptuous sin. And presumptuous sins do has a does usually have a consequence to it. You just cannot sin on purpose, sin against Almighty God on purpose, and there not be a consequence. There is. That consequence, though, doesn't remove you from Jesus Christ. It doesn't take you out of the family of God. It doesn't remove you from the kingdom of God. It doesn't keep you from being the son of God Almighty or the daughter of God Almighty. It doesn't do any of those things you just like when your dad, when you a kid, he says, you've crossed the line, and you're getting a whipping. And the Bible mentions that in Hebrews 12th chapter and other, many other places. <clears throat> in Revelation, it speaks of Jesus ch- chastising those whom he loves. So yeah, sometimes they're consequent. He gives a whipping. <clears throat> but... We're not to do that here with fellow saints. Because Jesus has pure hands. When Jesus comes into the court, if you will, He comes with clean hands. When you and I come into court, we come with dirty hands. We're not, if you will, perfect. And we have to remember that all of us have some frailties in this world and temptation is one of those things, or someone losing their temper. Sometimes we don't call it the point because we say, well, he's always done it, he's losing his temper, or she's losing her temper, or, and kind of overlook it. <clears throat> and But the point I'm making is, is that we're to forgive as Christ forgave us. And I'm going to say to you, it's an impossible thing to do. We can strive to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us, but if somebody keeps doing the same thing over to you, <clears throat> I mean, same thing over and over, we get to a point we have enough, and they ask you to forgive me each time. You, you say, well, you know, I'm up to four hundred ninety. And I don't have to forgive you again. Is that what Jesus meant? Of course not. The point I'm making is that we should be willing to forgive one another. Now, I always like to mention that the servant was going to be cast into prison with his family until he asked the king for mercy. When he asked the king for mercy, then the king forgave his debt. And then we have the servant that had been forgiven. He goes out to a fellow servant. This would be like another saint. And they owe him just a little bit of money compared to what he owed. And they take them and put them into prison. Now, what did it say there in our passage? Or in our, excuse me, in our Matthew, excuse me, I turned pages for a shoulder. 35, so So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. If well, Christ means that, He said that's the way His Father operates. God's forgiven us all this mass of things that we have done, and when a fellow saint sins against us, we're to forgive them just like Jesus Christ forgave us. And He says we don't do it, then <clears throat> He res- He restores your if you will, debt. I'm glad that this is one of those things that has mercy with it. The point I'm making is is that we need to take it more seriously. Somebody said, well, we forgive anybody and everybody. The Bible doesn't teach that. We're to love anybody and everybody. It does teach that. We're to be merciful to anybody and everybody. It does teach that. We're to be kind to our enemies. It teaches that. To our neighbor, we love them as we love ourselves. Love the saints as Jesus Christ has loved us. It says all that. The only two places known in the Scripture that even hints toward that is Jesus on the cross. And Jesus asked the Father, Forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus says they're doing this in ignorance. He asked the Father to forgive them. That is, when the judgment comes, that sin would not be accounted against them. Stephen, when he's being stoned. And Stephen practically says the same thing. That they wouldn't count this to their account, but it's a prior request. When we suffer loss, we honor Christ. What this passage is about is not to bring a reproach against Jesus Christ, not to bring a reproach against the church of Jesus Christ. There in Matthew 18, often referred to this, but very seldom ever read it in the, in the sermons, messages. We do want to turn to Matthew 18:15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee... <clears throat> Go and tell everybody in church but them. Hold a grudge. Tell your wife what they've done. But but that's not what Jesus says here, is it? He says, Go tell this fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So it's to be private nobody else knows what's going on at least by your voice they'll not hear about it and you go to them privately and say i feel like you've offended me in this thing you talk it out and if and after you settle it then you gain the brother and the and the war's over It's settled <clears throat> but if he will not hear thee then take he with thee two or th- two excuse me, one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So here you go, and you try to work it out and, and it doesn't work out. So you go and you get two fellow Christians, brothers in Christ, you come with two more, one or two more, so there'll be two or three witnesses, and they try to reconcile the situation. <clears throat> But we know from the scripture it doesn't reconcile. And if ye shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, but ye but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now was a heathen man and republic a publican, not republican, but publican. He's a lost sinner. You treat them like they're lost. You say, well, you don't know where they're lost or not. I'm not going by what I know. God says if they will not hear the church, then you to put them out. And you treat them like they're lost. Now, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for him of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God counts this serious. Faults between fellow saints. And and we got an example. We're not going to go and search out through, but you can study the book of Philippians, you can find out there's two sisters there to have a disagreement. And he tells one of, one of the men there, go and help her out. Get this thing settled. It doesn't mean these things don't happen. They absolutely do happen. But we're not to have this conflict or shouldn't have this conflict in the church. And so it should be taken care of. This is as far as the church... Can go. We don't blackball them, and I, uh, I mean that in the sense. There other scriptures says no not to eat with them, but we're not to blackball them in the sense of go out and get, try to give them a bad name in the community, or say uh, put writings on their in the uh, newspaper or something. We're not to do any of those kind of, that kind of things. <clears throat> as far as the church is concerned, it's over. If the saints would repent and come back, as it mentions in, in Corinthians, that they repent and they come back, and 2 Corinthians, where it mentions, I think, the seventh chapter, where they come back and they desire to be reinstated, then that's what the church does reinstates them, takes care of them. And so, <clears throat> uh, as saints, we will judge the world. Uh, with Jesus uh, with Christ Jesus Daniel 722 until the ancient days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom the twelve apostles will judge Israel I think it means rule there but uh, in, in Matthew 1928 and in our great work in the future, we'll be able to judge And <clears throat> verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 2.15. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. Verse 3, the judgment of angels. Is this evil angels or good angels or who, what angels they are or all angels? He just says we shall judge angels. <clears throat> I've heard arguments for both I'm inclined to believe it's all angels, but I can't prove that, so I'll not go further than in, in that. <clears throat> Who cannot even settle comparison, a small thing between brothers? How in the world can we judge angels? If we can't settle things in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, how are we going to judge the wicked? I mean, we'll be with Christ when He judges us. 7a, the word fault in here means to decrease defeat. The fault was the diminishing of the cause of Christ for earthly gain. They had already lost before they even started. Greed is destroyer of faith. Greed is destroyer of mercy. Greed is a destroyer almost everything in your life. covetousness, if you will, is greed. On steroids, and when we are, have a nature of covetousness, then let me say to you, it outrules God. <clears throat> so we're not to be covetous. They would suffer and be defrauded, rob for the uh, cause of Christ. You're going to a law, this is copied. You're going to a law it is an inferior or deficiency. You ought to know of a more excellent way. That's Pulpit Commentary. And do we know a more excellent way? Just read it. That's the more excellent way. They violated a common precept in 1 Thessalonians 4 or 6 that no man go abroad beyond and defraud his brother if any matter because the the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have <coughs> forewarned you and testified. So we turned over to the Lord, but we have a responsibility to confront them first, and then turned over to the Lord. But when we do go out and to the court of unbelievers, we defraud Christ. You say, well, yeah, but preacher, you don't understand. Now I need those two thousand dollars and I the only way I'm going to get that $2,000 is to go to court and sue them. Jesus says, <clears throat> go ahead and be cheated. Go ahead and, if you will, suffer the loss. And by the way, I heard this preached one time the Christ to make it up, but I didn't read it, did you? <laughs> There's no way that God says you they owed you two thousand and, and if you'll let that debt go, I'll give you two thousand. He doesn't say that. He says, Rather be defrauded. We have a greater thing involved than whether I get paid back. It is the cause of Christ. There's nothing worse and battling Christians. Nothing. Nothing d- destroys, speaking of the love of Christ out of one mouth, and hating your brother or sister out of the other side. And some people will say, well, there's nothing but a big bunch of hypocrites down there. Sometimes they say that and it's not true. But sometimes they say and it is true. There in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? There's, who would be the innocent party? I've heard this, not so much when I was growing up, but as I've gotten it mostly in the independent work, is the innocent party. And this passage, by the way, does have an innocent party to it does have It's the brother's been defrauded. But sometimes when we talk about innocent party, there's usually two wrongs. Maybe one is more guilty than the other. Maybe one has uh, been more offensive than the other. But it's hard to say on every occasion that I'm innocent. I may have caused something may have triggered somebody to say, uh, if you will, lose their temper toward me, and then grin about it. Uh, You've probably never seen this. Just think, here's one brother in Christ, here's another brother in Christ, the one is over jabbing him. Teddy loses his temper. said, look at that, he just, <clears throat> he lost his temper and all this now, you need to, uh, I'll, I'll forgive you if he ask you for it. But let me say to you, when you start prodding, you part of the cause. <clears throat> Will you cause the cause of Christ to move forward or backwards? Will you suffer loss if it's necessary? As <clears throat> far as it rests uh, with You cause the wicked to to pay. Now, somebody says, well, what do we do about other things? That, you have to settle with you and the Lord because we don't have any instructions on that where it's a lost person. Because they're sure not coming to church to get it straightened out. And so we need to find out what God's remedy is for that. And I don't have the time to go through what I believe on this particular thing and the scriptures I use for that. <clears throat> will you cause the cause of Christ to move forward, backward? Will you be the one that, if you will, has been a trip uh, uh, tripping those coming to Christ, and if you will, cast them out of the way? You say, well, preacher, we believe in election. You absolutely do. Did you ever read the Scriptures? If you don't warn the man of his wicked ways, and he dies in his wickedness, God says He counted blood on your hands. If If there's a saint, if you will, and they turn from their righteous way and go into the wicked way, and you warn them not, then whose hands is the blood on yours? So, the answer to what we should do is the cause of Christ. Not what's best for me and my family, but what is best for the cause of Christ. What is best, if you will, to illustrate the Word of God? When I hear people, I'm just going to throw this in because we're... Uh, at the time, so this is free time here, I'll just throw this in. When somebody stands up and say they forgive, uh, commit, you know, somebody's killed their daughter or their wife or somebody, something like that. And they're standing there and they have never asked anybody anywhere to forgive them. They're saying, I'm innocent of all these things. <clears throat> You're supposed to love them. Got plenty of proof of that, don't we? We're loving that despitefully use us. So we're to love them. We have no other business but to love them. We are to be merciful as much as we can be merciful. But there's nowhere it says forgive them. You say, well, preacher, we just read that. And I tried to point as I went through. The first servant was not forgiven until he asked. The second servant asked but didn't receive forgiveness because of the wickedness of the former servant, but he asked. And God will not forgive you of your sins unless you ask Him. Matter of fact, the Bible says you need to repent. Somebody says, well, repentance, brother, just means the change of mind. I've heard that I don't know how many times. If you don't have a change of actions, like 2 Corinthians talks about in 7 chapter, if you don't have a change of action, your change of mind has not occurred. You say, well, yeah, preacher, I feel like I'm sorry for my sins. You have to repent. Well, I changed my mind. If you didn't, if you confessed, if you will, or if you changed your mind about sins, well, I'm not going to commit adultery anymore. I find I believe that's offense to God. <clears throat> Are you forgiven? You have to ask God to forgive you for that sin. I know sometimes, to be expedient, we say, "Lord, forgive us. Give me all my sins." And sometimes we because, say, there's a time and that kind of prayer needs to be done because we can't remember them all. But God <clears throat> would like for us to say, <clears throat> Father, forgive me for idolatry or fornication or thievery or lying or whatever. Why? Because then He forgives you.